Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, well, I'm kind of grumpy. Because, you know, like, as far as I was concerned, the book was done and it was sent to the printer, but that's not what the printer thinks. They're having some pre-press problems. Boo, 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 boo. So I'm having to do more work. Boo, 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 boo. Unhappy girl. So that's how I am this evening. But, you know, it's going to get done. It's just going to take a little longer than we thought. Yeah, Michael was very yeah. reassuring. He said, look, you know, big Broadway shows with millions of dollars hanging on them get delayed by months, so don't sweat it that it's getting delayed. Yeah, we never 
I was just reminded the other day, you know, it's like there's no there's no guarantees. We never can never plan for anything because anything can happen at any time. And it's just uh, the way life likes to remind us <laughs> constantly. <laughs> right. Before, I've no just been able to make a PDF of the file and send it to the printer, and they print it, no problem. But for some reason, the illustrations, the beautiful illustrations that Durga did won't PDF. So we're having to jump through a million hoops with the files. Oh, yeah. Things are becoming much uh, more advanced these days than just PDF files, I guess. <laughs> yep. 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 No, actually, we're having to, like, make it simpler than PDF. Oh, interesting. Not more complicated. Oh, okay. Well... I wish because the her files are done in a very old program. Her illustration oh, files are in an ancient, ancient program. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, the printer can't interface with it. Hmm. So we're having to do all of these workarounds. Hmm. Anyhow, yep, that's kind of, that was by you. That's on my capacity to know, how, <laughs> you know, how to deal with that kind of stuff. But yes, anyhow... Anyhow, how are you? I'm doing well. I've uh, been spending some time in my kitchen today. This afternoon, I had some free time, so I finally made some garlic honey for us. I was I'm running low, and I got to make it out of the garlic I grew this year, which was really nice. Woo-hoo! And the messy job. <laughs> I've ended up putting too much garlic in there to allow for much room for the honey to circulate, but it's going to be really good. And All I right. made some... I can't imagine putting in too much garlic. I don't think you can really put in too much garlic because you put it in whole and unpeeled. Yeah, I put mine in whole and unpeeled. I know some people peel it, but I you don't eat the cloves anyway, and it all just really I saturates everything. You I eat, eat the, the cloves? cloves? Of course I oh, do. Oh, I never the eat the peel just huh. falls right off, and then you have this beautiful piece of honeyed garlic. Hmm. Okay. I always just use it to make stuff with because I really love the flavor of it, and I think, it, you know, obviously it's so good for you. But Well, wait a second. You just said you don't eat it, and now you say you are eating it. I use the honey. I just use the, the right. liquid part of it. Right. And yeah. But you were saying that you use the garlic to make things. You just throw the garlic away. Um, I usually compost it, yeah. Yeah, no. It's delicious. Okay, maybe I actually, yeah, I think I'll, I could like even blend it up with stuff and, and like when I make stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it I made some. Uh, it, 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 the texture changes. It doesn't, it's not very blendable once it's been sitting in honey for a while. Oh, okay. It's honeyed. It's like crystallized. It's like crystallized ginger, right? I think I tried to eat it before, and I, I, it was the texture or something. I was like, oh, maybe this isn't meant to be consumed, but. <laughs> it is meant to be yes, but it gets. A, well, I have a whole jar of it in there that's been well, fermenting like for. It's like an apple, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the honey softens it. Okay. But it's not as soft as if you had cooked it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I usually press it. I have like a a nice press that I and I press all of like the liquid and everything down, and so it's like pretty. It's pretty. It gets pretty um strained out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're making in quantity and sharing with others. A a press is a handy thing to have. Tara, the apprentice, and I <clears throat> the other day. Along with Justine, who was videotaping it all, made garlic honey, and we made some tincture tea, which is mm. what I do since I don't make to share with the others, so I don't have a press. Um, so what I do is after I drain off as much of the tincture as I can, uh, then I pour boiling water into the jar with the plant material and whatever... Mm. M- Menstrum, whatever alcohol is still in there, is now dissolved in the water, and I use a really big dose of that. Like instead of a dropper full, I would use half a cup full. Mm. Yeah. So that's one way without a press on your own for your own use to get that. Because there is, there's another couple of ounces of uh, alcohol still in there usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, depending on the tincture, there might even be more. Like the roots tend to really capture a lot of extra liquid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Rebecca, you are, are um, um, bringing interesting people here. <laughs> it's funny because this year I was have I've been having a particularly hard time scheduling guests, and so. It's funny how these um, guests got kind of all clumped together at the end because I, I like oh, went through. Oh, way out on the end of this spectrum tonight, we have Evelina Rose, who has channeled the Council of Twelve for thirty-four years. This is part of the Council of the White Brotherhood of Light. Oy, they. Right? <laughs> Let's gather together some more. I didn't more know that until I read her bio. Why? And then I read the bio and I was like, this should be interesting. Okay. Yowza. Okay, so we'll yeah. see. Maybe I can avoid saying any of those words and we'll get along fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was like, I, I hesitated to even include that in the I sent it to you. <laughs> I read it and I uh, Rose and Susan Weed will be talking about, well, we'll be talking about a variety of things like metatherapy and uh, spiritual opening and empaths. So that should be We do a have lot. a couple of really interesting guests at the end of the month, uh, Sheila Kamara Hay and, um, and then Sarah Wu as well. And she's oh, a Sarah. I'm so glad Sarah agreed to talk with us. Yay, Sarah. She's so fast. Really excited. So excited to have them on, and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and I was just gonna say I made some uh, hot cocoa mix, which is really easy to to make as well. I was gonna um, do you ever, do you ever make a your own hot cocoa mix and add some herbs in with it, Susan? You know, I'm a purist, Rebecca. I'm a purist yeah. and I'm a simpler. Don't be putting stuff in my hot chocolate. See, I make hot chocolate. chocolate. It's organic cocoa powder, Mm non-dutched, sugar, and my goat's milk. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which is really good. I but I started putting uh, some cordyceps and cottonopsis in with mine, and I I love it, and I think it's really good for my kids as well. So I was just uh, I yeah yeah. So you it's put nice the powdered hat. cordyceps and the powdered cottonops? Yeah, and kind of like sift it out of, you know, sift it in there, make sure it's all super smooth and uh-huh. uh, and sweeten it. And you're honey. getting the powders from fungi perfecti or real mushrooms? I get the cod, uh, the the cordyceps. I, it, it was from Mountain Rose this time. I'm told that cordyceps is is such a rare herb that it's extremely unlikely that anything on the market is actually cordyceps. And this has been told to me by people in Chinatown, a woman there that I know who runs an herb shop. You know, when we were talking about cordyceps, she said, oh, her brother buys cordyceps. And, you know, it's like a million of whatever his currency is for a tiny little bit of it. You know, this is a fungus mm-hmm. that grows out of a caterpillar. So yeah, I've heard what, that. So what yeah. is done is other similar kinds of mushrooms are substituted for it. Mm-hmm. And there can be a huge difference in the effectiveness of those. Mm-hmm. I know that fungi perfecti grows a specific strain that grows well and that is very active, has active medicinal value in the mycelium. They and say for mountain rose, people, it's, that, the people that it is at, the mycelium of the cordyceps that they're using. So, cordyceps I mean, that mountain rose is using comes from fungi perfecti, did you say? Well, they say it's from mycelia and the organic myceliated oats, so you're probably getting some oats in there too because it does it has oh, like a starch. It probably is from fungi perfecti then. Yeah, yeah, or whoever grows it is probably based on their technique. You fungi know. perfecti is who grows it. Oh, okay. Well. That's Paul Stamets. Mm-hmm. It's a huge growing operation. So that would be my guess is that that's that that's where you're getting it, because the real the real mushrooms is sourced from China somewhere, and they also are growing a different species of cordyceps in order to be able to supply the market. Uh, yeah, these ones are from the United States, so probably probably from it's mycelium. Yeah. Yeah. And. It's great. It's wonderful. You know, I'm always so excited about the herbs, and I always say that I would never argue with anybody about whether or not something works because it does work. But what I am continue to be interested in and to find important is given that everything works, is what I'm using something that I have true access to. Mm-hmm. And cordyceps falls outside that boundary for me. If I use cordyceps and I get good results, and I really like cordyceps, and I start talking about cordyceps, and other people use cordyceps, the fact of the matter is we don't have real access to cordyceps, and never will. Mm-hmm. And so what are we doing? Are we just healing ourselves? Does using cordyceps heal our community? Does it heal the planet? 
you know that these are the questions that I ask. Not just does it work, not just does it heal me, but how does it fit into things? Now, cottonopsis supposedly is really easy to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually started a plant up at my old house, but it's it didn't it didn't make the move with me. I think it has since perished, but unfortunately, but I should start it again. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got I got interested in um, cordyceps. Uh, I'm sorry, in cottonopsis, um, which is a root, not a mushroom, because uh, doing the work with adaptogens, and it said that it helps prevent angina pain. And as mm-hmm. you probably know, Michael has had a lot of angina pain, and times where he was taking nitroglycerin hourly for angina pain. And he just said last night, well, I need to get my nitroglycerin prescription renewed. I said, oh, right. how many pills are in the bottle? He says, there's 50 in a bottle. And he looks and he says, my gosh. He says, it's been almost 12 months since I got this prescription. And that, that's because he's taking cotton nuts now. Hmm. How does he take his? As a tincture. He takes a couple of dropperfuls of tincture. Mm, and when nice. I make the yeah, tincture I... from the dried root, let mm-hmm. it sit as long as possible before I use it. So I am definitely going to try growing cottonopsis. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons that I did start using it is because everything I read said, oh, it's a pretty plant and easy to grow. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're reveling in the Shisandra. We're so enjoying the bounty of the Shisandra vine. Yeah, I should start growing that one too. I'll yeah. get there. <laughs> Always <laughs> plenty to grow. <laughs> Always plenty of new herbs, exactly. Yay. Yay for yeah. herbs. Yay for All right. Well, you know, I always think back to the original studies done at Duke University, and these studies were ba- done back in the, the 60s and 70s, and they were screening mushrooms as anti-cancer agents, and basically what they were doing it was just, you know, in Petri dishes, and so they would take cancer cell lines, and they would take mushroom extracts, and they would put them in the Petri dish and see if it killed the cancer cells. And one of the most remarkable findings was was that every single mushroom that they tried killed cancer cells except for canned mushrooms. Hmm. Yeah. And so, again, I think cordyceps, why cordyceps when we can go to the store and buy mushrooms? I like them because they're powdered and they have, like, relatively, like, I mean, like, no, they don't have very much flavor. And I think it's it powder, which doesn't have much flavor. What's that? Shiitake powder doesn't have much flavor, and it's pretty easy to grow. Cordyceps is impossible to grow at home. Yeah, true. Yeah, I appreciate that that thought too. Yeah, and I was yeah, just so thinking you know, about you know keeping it easy, something easy to get that we have and, real access to, not that we yeah, miss. Yeah forego ever buying things. But I think it changes how we relate to things. When in the back of my mind, I know that if Frontier and Mountain Rose and Star Wars Botanicals and Pacific Botanicals, if all those wonderful places weren't here, I could still go out and harvest nettle. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I do could... do a lot of drying my own mushrooms, and I powder them and make salts and stuff like that because I really like that to have um, just uh, sitting by my stove. But, um, but, but yeah. Check those uh, yard sales, everybody, for coffee grinders and use them as herb grinders. They work really well. Yeah, they work really well. And salt. Indeed. Salt acts like a like a, a grit. So, mm-hmm. uh, like I fa- found that herbs that stay a little moist after they're dry, like rosemary, if I just drop a little salt, especially some coarse Himalayan salt in there with it, wow, does that get ground up then? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I I just uh, made. I had a bunch of dried morels and dried rosemary, and I used uh, Celtic sea salt. And Celtic sea salt is a little, it's a little wetter, but it, uh, and just blended all of that together. And it's really good. We've been, it's nice. We always make like a jar to put on the side of my stove to, to garnish with. So (laughs) nice. Yeah. That's our flavor right now. (laughs) What a good, good talk we've had tonight. Are there people with questions? There are there are a few people with their that have pressed one and just make sure to press one if you'd like to put your call in the queue. Our first caller is coming from the two zero eight area code. Hello. 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 What's up tonight? Hello. <laughs> Oh, we can't hear you. You're breaking up very badly. We cannot hear you. Would you like to, um, I don't know, maybe call back in or can you try talking one more time? All right. Well, we'll have to go to another caller. Yeah. Yes. And Call just back. maybe you can, see if we can get a better calling back. And I see your area code there, so if you and I'll put you through next time. All right. The next caller is coming from the nine zero three area code. Good evening, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Hello. Mhm. Great. Um, Susan, you've already got me cracking up this evening. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm in, enjoying your um, what you've had to say this evening. Um, I am celebrating sitting here with some infusion and having made my very first tallow salve, uh, tallow balm, because of you. So thank you very, very much. Um, and... I, my question is related to um, the use of comfrey. My uh, horse broke her hip, and I used comfrey on her for the past 10 days, and she is actually walking again, which is so exciting for me. Um, I'm, my question is, how long should I give it to her or is there a way I can tell if she's healed enough to um, let her out of her stall? Those are good questions, and they're somewhat difficult to answer. I figured. Okay. Well, I will tell you this, though, that 
when I broke my wrist in Costa Rica, I didn't get an x-ray then. And I used Comfrey, and I used Comfrey pretty much daily, in addition to my other nourishing herbal infusions, and I used Comfrey externally and internally for close to three months. Oh, okay. I then wanted to work with a physical therapist, and the physical therapist insisted that I have an x-ray before she would work with me. And the doctor said, well, um, you definitely broke your wrist, but you broke your wrist three years ago, given the bone remodeling, not three months ago. Wow. So that's pretty interesting information, isn't it? Very interesting. Huh. So that three months horizon feels good to me. It feels like it really gives the bone all the time it needs. And within my body, after that three months, I was really eager to do things with the wrist. I just didn't want to re-injure it, you know? Right. And I think that's what you're asking about for your horse as well. Because it's pretty easy when you have a break or a a severe sprain to jump back in too fast. Yeah, exactly. And the physical therapist talked to me about strength and about flexibility. Okay. And that um, they, they were different goals. Right. Right. And right. that we had to pay attention to both of them. Okay. And that often people just focus on getting strong again and lose a lot of flexibility. Right. Okay. So those are some things that I can share with you. I don't know if they really answer your questions, but they they throw a few more morsels in the pot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- no, thank you. I I appreciate that very much because um I've never dealt with anything like this before and my first thought was of course, you know, western medicine. I did have a vet come out and she said, "Yep, it's broken and uh what can we offer you?" Well, uh pretty much we can put her down for you. <laughs> you exactly. We can offer you a bullet. Is what we yeah, can right. offer you. Exactly. Exactly. So I was at that point, I was like, okay, she's not telling me she's ready to go. And I Mm -hmm. have all this knowledge that I've been gaining from you. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try it. And if, if she tells me she's done, then, then I'll let her go. I'm certainly not going to keep her, you know, in pain, but otherwise it's an opportunity. And she literally, the way she broke it, she could not move her leg at all because that muscle that goes across it, um, when when that bone is broken, that muscle can't work. And today she moved her leg and walked across the stall. Yeah. And I was. I had a cat, an, a twenty year old cat, weighed about three pounds, tiny little cat, and <laughs> she went to sleep behind the tire of somebody's car, which would have been oh. okay if the woman had turned on her car. And left with everybody else, but she needed to leave a little early, and she didn't want to disturb people, so she just went and let out the parking brake and rolled backwards. Ugh. And rolled right over the cat and broke her pelvis through 
went to a vet, and her pelvis was broken in about 17 or 18 pieces. Oh, geez. And the vet said, well, you know, we can put her in surgery. And I looked at the vet and I said, this is a three-pound, 20-year-old cat. She's not going to survive surgery. Come on. Right. And she said, well, I didn't want to tell you to put her down. I said, I understand. That's that's what you can offer me, is surgery or put her down. It's okay. We have other resources. We took her home. We fed her comfrey infusion with milk. I didn't do any kind of poultices. Cats really don't like poultices. Um, But there was a a student of mine who's very much into Reiki, and she came two or three times a day and did Reiki with this cat. And many of the apprentices would just, she was like, you know, we made her a little nest under uh, a desk so she could hide because she didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. And the apprentices would just go and lay next to her and read or sing. Nice. And again, within three months, she was jumping up on tables. Awesome. Okay. So I'm I'm just really on the right path and I what I'm hearing is you basically saying follow my intuition and keep in mind the strength and the flexibility and keep giving her the the herbs. I mean, I've made her the infusions, uh nettle and comfrey in particular, both internal and then I was applying some externally because I thought, well, it certainly can't hurt even though it's her hip. I, I soak a towel in it and I just drape it over, you know, her hip. Um, I think it's a great idea, and horses like that kind of thing. Yes. They yes. like having wet cloths draped on them. Yes, especially in ah! Texas. On the other hand, want to bite your eyes out if you try that. <laughs> yes, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. And and I do also Reiki and Flotrition, so I've been doing that as well at least once a day. So, um, yeah, okay. I, I'm thinking right. I'm on the right path. You yeah. are. You're doing a great job. Super. Thank you so What's your very horse's much. name? Her name is Star, Obsidian Star. Obsidian Star. All right. Green blessings to you and Obsidian Star. Thank you. Green blessings. All right. We're going to go back to the 208 number. Okay. Hello. The line is... Are you there? There's two two oh eight. Hear you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I'm on an internet phone, so it's a little bit sketchy, a little bit delayed. So I'm gonna do my best. All right. Um, I'm calling for my six year old son. Um, he has had this kind of ongoing rash that started about three weeks ago on his hand, and at first it was kind of just more of a little almost looks like a bug bite rash and I kind of put plantain oil on it and started to use a little bit of honey and then it um, lasted over a week and I did kind of think maybe it was something like hand foot mouth when he first got it because he did have a snotty nose and a cough right after kind of when the rash started but then he got better with the snotty nose and the cough and the rash kind of seemed to get worse and so I ended up taking him to the doctor in my local town and she didn't really know what it was but she was like oh I can prescribe a kind of steroid cream for him and then I did decide to tell her that I thought it could have been a possibility of scabies because my sisters had scabies months and months ago so I didn't really think it was but I did let her know that that was maybe a slight concern 
And so she instantly thought it was that after I told her that. And so then she kind of diagnosed him with that and ended up prescribing me with ivermectin for the whole family. And so I did listen to like a blog talk from you from six years ago or something, I think. And it was like about the green soap and um, like bag bomb and sulfur. And so I kind of went along with that, but then I couldn't get the green soap and I decided to give us all the ivermectin and get him back in school. But then after the week, it didn't get any better and got drastically worse. And I kind of called the doctor back and asked them if they could for sure sample it. And they were like, oh, we diagnosed it with scabies and that's surely what it is. It's an easy diagnosis and didn't think that I needed to come back. And then I decided to kind of go to my bigger town and see if I could get him in there to get more of a testing done of it. And they said bring them down and they could surely do some type of testing and when I got there the doctor was like oh no that's not scabies at all and so they did a viral culture and they were thinking it was definitely more like a long herpes virus with the cold sore strain and so I'm still waiting for the culture to come back but they prescribed him with the Zovirax antiviral which I'm not familiar with at all besides it does have some scary side effects like most drugs and I haven't ever given my son any type of drugs or you ever heard of sages no p-h-a-g-e a A fade is a virus that attacks infections Uh uh-huh yeah sage therapy um, is has not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration for use here in the United States. The main center for it is in Biliski um, in Georgia, over in a far eastern Europe, the beginning of Asia there. The FDA does, however, allow your doctor to take a mm-hmm. sample, seems like they already have a sample, of the infection yeah. and send it to the phage center in Georgia. And they will determine whether or not this infection can be treated with phages. Okay. If it yeah, can, can be, have- then they will create the specific phages that will work against this specific infection and send them to you, and they're used either as a rub-on cream or something that I think is sprayed into your nose. Mm-hmm. Very non-invasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I just wasn't very sure about the Zovirax, and they want us to take it four times a day, and I still don't even have the culture back to confirm if it is the herpes strain virus, and so it's just scary to use his little body as drug testing and just seeing trial and error. And so I especially because you took the drug everybody took the drug against scabies and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and it seemed like it made it a lot worse because it probably surely weakened his immune system some and then that whole week after we took that it just really broke out through his whole hand kind of and wrapping around his thumb and it is pretty big blistery and so I was putting a lot of Saint Joan oil on it and honey and I didn't really know at first if I should have it bandaged, but then I did start bandaging it because I, when I went back to the doctor to get the culture, it was 
they were pretty worried about the secondary infection that that he had from probably itching it, and they did kind of think that it was the scabies because he was itching so much at night more, but then it just didn't really look like scabies at all. But they did prescribe two different types of antibiotics for the secondary infection, which I tried to get him to kind of take more St. Joan and Echinacea, but I was kind of worried because they were like, oh, if it's any bigger than these little dots they made around the rash to rush him to the ER. So I kind of did do the scare tactic and went along with feeding him the antibiotics, which I still wasn't sure about. So he had been on them for the last three days. And when I went just yesterday to the doctor, they did say that the secondary infection looked pretty good and they weren't really concerned about it no more, but I still should continue the antibiotics for the rest of today. But I didn't quite know about that, and so I didn't give it to him this morning. And then I was still kind of just didn't know if I should be doing more of the St. Joan or more of the honey or more maybe just of the internal, like the tinctures, until let I me, could get back Let me ask you results. this. You're applying honey with the hoped-for result of... I was just hoping maybe it would help the infection, the secondary infection some, but then I didn't know just any type of healing I thought maybe it would help do because I didn't quite know what I was dealing with at all. So the primary thing that honey does is it draws moisture to places. Mm-hmm. So that might not be quite that good when it maybe is supposed it's to be drying up. that is watery or oozy, then honey is usually going to make it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of it was chapped, kind of looking at first, and then it just really kind of broke up into a lot of bigger mm-hmm. blisters, but they don't really break open. But mm-hmm. now it is definitely more just raw, kind of, and red-looking than um, cracked. But I don't know if the bag bomb, because I was putting bag bomb on it, thinking it was the scabies at first, so I don't think that that did very much good now that it was definitely not that. And so I don't really know if I should be keeping it bandaged or more kind of letting it just dry out and not touch things, and maybe if it is viral, using more of the St. Joan wort oil. Do you have any lemon balm oil or lemon balm ointment? Mm, I don't. I wish I would have made some because I have a lemon balm plant, but I think I the frost probably just took it. I made a tincture this past year, but I didn't do any lemon balm. Lemon balm is pretty frost-hardy. Mm-hmm. So it might still be all right to put some in just for um, to have ready when it is done then. So I'll check I that out today when I find the lemon balm stays green where I live pretty much into December. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll go look at my plan again today and definitely try to do some of that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's a specific against herpes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So that's nice to know that we do have it growing outside. Mm-hmm. And if I do get the culture back, because oh, that's I, what even the medicine can go ahead. Yeah. They're good questions that you're asking, but I'm not right there, so it's really hard for me to know. I can't see what's going on. There's just so many possibilities. I'll tell you, I spent mm-hmm. some time studying dermatology textbooks, and especially those with color pictures. And what mm-hmm. I got from my several months of study was if there's something wrong with the skin, we call it dermatitis. Mm-hmm. If there's itching with the dermatitis, we prescribe cortisone to quell the itching. Mm-hmm. If there appears to be a secondary infection, we prescribe antibiotics. Mm-hmm. But none of these books really led me to believe that anybody knew anything about what they were doing. Right. 
and that these were just kind of blanket things, which, of course, you could do without even going to the doctor, couldn't you? You can walk yeah. right into the drugstore and get a 1% hydrocortisone cream. Mm-hmm. You can get an antibiotic ointment if that's what you want to use. Mm-hmm. You can use enough echinacea for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. How much does your six-year-old son weigh? 42 pounds, probably. 42 pounds. So a dropper full is a dose. And to counter infection, he'd need that dropper full about every hour for the first day. Mm-hmm. Is that how much echinacea you were giving him? No, definitely not. That's why I was, just didn't think it was probably going to work if I wasn't going to be doing it quite as much as I needed to be doing it. And is there some reason you weren't willing to, to use it in the way that um, it needs used to be effective? I guess just um, kind of he's so stubborn, and I should have just kind of did it in the water and maybe even had a little medicine syringe and treated it more like, okay, plug your nose if you really don't want to drink it, even in juice and drink it down. But I just ended up bringing him to the doctor and kind of go to, went along with that. And then my echinacea, I didn't quite know. I could have bought some, but I didn't know if it was quite strong enough because I did. I made it on, I think, the winter solstice last year. And I haven't strained it, so I just kind of been using it as I, I mean, need it's definitely it. Definitely, just fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can definitely just maybe stop the antibiotics and go back to that for the next few mm-hmm. days at least. And, mm-hmm. 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 and yeah, you know, okay. as parents, we have a choice. Do we want to teach our children that life is always about choosing the easy answer? Right. Mm-hmm. Or do we want to stand up for? I'm your mom. I provide for you. And what I'm providing for you right now is echinacea, and you're going to take it. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody came and removed the spine from the vast majority of parents. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's how I feel a lot of times. It's real hard for me to have that backbone and be real. Well, nobody can give it to you but you. Yep, yeah. He's not the boss of you. Yeah. And if he doesn't want and it, so would you recommend he gets me sicker? Just going ahead and then I say, as uh, you know, if my child said, "Well, I don't want that," I say, "Then you're going to get sicker." When she got sicker, mm-hmm. I would say, "Time for the echinacea now." How much sicker do yeah, you want? Yeah, which I am kind of like, but then I do just give in and let him kind of not you just take it. Give in. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's not adults like, mm-hmm. and it I think it terrorizes our children. Yeah, because there's nothing solid in the world. Mm-hmm. One of a parent's jobs is to say no and to set limits. Mm-hmm. So. And I'm saying this because what I think I hear you saying is, I didn't want to give my kid antibiotics, but I did anyhow. I didn't want to give my kid Mm -hmm. this stuff to get rid of scabies, but I did anyhow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's how I really did feel, too, just kind of pressured to hurry and try to hurry the whatever was going on and get him back to school. And And who were you pressured by? Uh, Just myself, I guess, really, you know, I mean, a little bit by the school and surroundings, but... Tell yeah, I mean, it just does come down what? to myself, yeah. Fine. I mean, 
And again, this is what we want to teach our children. You ignore your body, use drugs to make it go so you can go back to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a good idea. Not what I wanted to teach my child. Mm-hmm. What I endeavored to teach my child was pay attention to your body. Do what your body needs. Mm-hmm. Because you want it to be there for you for a long, long time. And that job or that task or whatever that is that you think you have to get back to is not going to be with you as long as your body will. Right. Yep, and I do agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. Well, I hope that what I'm doing is giving you courage and giving you power and giving you some backbone to choose what you want to choose. And to say to that voice inside you that says you have to do this fast, no, I don't. Right. Your child was in no danger of dying. Yeah. That's what right? I keep trying to tell myself, too, is that it's not life-threatening and surely don't need to give drugs that have life-threatening side effects. Right. Mm-hmm. So think about... Alrighty. Think about what's happening with the rash. Put your hands on it. Be quiet. Ask your son to be quiet. Put out some different herbs or some different remedies. Let your son hold them one at a time in his hand. And sit with him and say, how is your body responding to this? Does your body want this? Don't do too many at once. Three or four is probably enough to start with. But you could do three or four mm-hmm. a day for a little while if you wanted to test out some things and see what kinds of things are going to be useful. Mm-hmm. Understand your fear. And when we're afraid, yeah. then often what we do is we just throw anything we have at hand at it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just doing. Everything I could think of so slightly. Well, well, abundant alrighty. will Thank will be you. out, and of course, it lays out a framework so that we don't have to throw everything at it at once. Mm-hmm. I really value what you're doing, and I think that uh, what's your son's name? Mm-hmm. What um, Arlo? Arlo's his name. Arlo. Arlo I, I think that Arlo is going to get through this. Do you? Yeah, it in, is starting to Do you live in the country or the city? Um, I live in the country. We are out on five acres of my mom's property and have been established in a little house and got goats last year. And maybe mm-hmm. we'll get them bred this year, but I might just wait until next year because I don't know if I'm quite ready. And mm-hmm. have ducks and chickens and pigs. So mm-hmm. keep ourselves busy out in the outdoors. A rash. A rash that itches at night. A rash mm-hmm. is at night and oozes sometimes, a rash that itches. Not really even that oozy. Sometimes it gets dry. These are the classic symptoms of poison ivy. Yeah, that's what it looks like, but we're not, we don't have poison ivy around here. But I did grow up in Oregon, and it you really did start looking like them. You do. Well, we, we live in Idaho now, and so I don't so really then you have think poison we ivy. have. 
Um, I don't really know. Not that I know of. Not that I've really noticed anybody ever having or talking about around here. But I we got I got into Devil's Club when I was a kid, and it seemed like it was kind of similar. But as far as I know, I didn't really think he had gotten into something like that. But it did resemble something like what Poison Oak or Poison Ivy would look like. But in northern Idaho, as far as I know, we don't have too much of that around. For whatever it's worth, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you kind of just soothe that? As what, what do you recommend for a rash like that then? For, which hazel? Would you wrap it? Like, hazel, calamine lotion, leave it open, jewelweed, mm-hmm. bleach bath. If you don't have bleach, go for Swimming in a chlorinated pool. Mhm. Okay. That wouldn't be probably too hard to do. There you go. Alrighty. Well, thank you and Rebecca so much for being available and doing this for us. You are welcome. Keep up the good work. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Bye. All right. The next caller is coming from the 818 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. <laughs> I can't wait for your new book. I'm so excited. Woo! <laughs> so I I actually feel bad calling in after the last three callers because my questions are kind of trivial. But let's go with them anyways because it might help someone else with something that might happen in their future. So I had this brilliant idea of storing, um, I don't know, I have maybe 12 or 15 different quarts of of my nourishing herbal infusions down in the freezer in the garage, and I reorganized my solar power, and it got unplugged. I don't know how I did that. It's been unplugged for four days. Everything defrosted, and it's at room temperature, and the really, really bitter ones seem like they're okay. Should I just water my plants with this it's i i'm guessing they've been at room temperature for three days idiot how did i do that <laughs> i can always okay well let's I'll, take it from the top <laughs> okay i don't understand why the nourishing herbal infusions are being frozen um back up because it, uh i don't know just because when i get a lot of time i'll make a whole bunch of them put them down in a freezer down, do down in my garage don't do that. Please don't do okay. that. Okay. What I want you to do mm-hmm. is make what I want you to do is to make your nourishing herbal infusion at least every other night. Okay. I want it to be a ritual. Do you brush your teeth fifty times in one day and then not for the rest of the month? No. No. Well that's what you're doing. Okay, well, my other logic, just so you know. It's a ritual. It's a ritual of making your infusion. It's a ritual of self-care. Well, I do this every, it's a ritual every single night. That was my backup in case the power goes out. Then I have a freezer in case power goes out. And look what happened when the power goes out. And look what happened, exactly. (laughs) Fried herb is what happens if power goes out. And then. You don't have extra bottles of water around your house? If you're worried about water supply, if the power goes out, 
Take some empty bottles now and fill them with water and write the date on them. And every year, empty them and put fresh water in them. Keep a day's supply of water on hand. I also have a bucket that I can throw down into my spring, since I'm lucky enough to have a spring that sources my water. Many people have wells that you can't get a bucket into, the very narrow wells. But keeping some water on hand, I think, is a good idea toward any emergency. B vitamins are very easily destroyed by freezing. And all of the nourishing herbal infusions, especially comfrey, nettle, and oat straw, and red clover, are loaded with B vitamins. So you're just like wiping the B vitamins right off the books by freezing them. Are we still talking to each other? Hi, hi. Looks like her call just dropped. So we'll go to the next caller, and um, she calls back in. We can go back to her. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 828 area code. Hello, Miss Joan. It's Maretta. Good hey, evening. Hey, Maretta. Yeah. It's Beautiful always wonderful call. seeing you at the Zoom meetings, and how nice to talk to you as well. Yeah, it's lovely to see you in, in person like that. And what I wanted to ask you is, um, I'm now um, starting to walk normally um, again after five months of bone broth and swimming, and my knee feels really good, And uh, but my muscles are cramping a lot, so I'm actually going to linden uh, flower and leaf for relief for all the cramping, and it seems to work. How wonderful. I think you're saying linden flower and leaf because that's what it says on the mountain rose package. Yes. But there's no leaf in there. Oh, there's no leaf in it. Okay. so There's no leaf in there. I cannot convince them to take the word leaf off their package. I'm not sure why, but there's no leaves in there. The leaves of the linden are very, very dark green on the order of a violet leaf. Oh, really? So it's just flowers. It's in there is part of the flower. Yeah. The smell is, I mean, the the scent is so divine. You know, it's like you're drinking some heavenly thing. But I it smell fairies at my feet. I'm sitting under a linden tree. <laughs> you know, is that um, really so that that would reduce cramping uh, to extreme, a very big extent? I mean, serious. I mean, serious. I such serious cramping from start walking normally on this one leg again. I my. I believe that linden is very undervalued as an anti-inflammatory. And I think of it as a much better anti-inflammatory, especially for people of European extraction, than turmeric. Isn't that something? So I heard you say that um, uh, when we were online, and so I tried it out, and I'm shocked that um, these, uh, I mean, very, very, very painful contractions in my um, muscles disappeared. 
And uh, so I was wondering if it is that strong that it can do that. And then also, um, and it's just with one cup a day. And I, I wouldn't say strong. I would say penetrating. Linden is very penetrating. Mm-hmm. Has the ability to really get into places. I see. Yeah. So then, I, my other question to you is: Is it all right to do a cup of oat straw infusion and a cup of uh, linden flour and a Ab- cup of stragglers infusion every yes. day? Are, yes. Yes, absolutely fine. Just don't mix them together. Fine. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. So I'm very, very, very excited because that um, bone broth and the swimming really heals my leg. Heals my leg, you know. It really um, replaced the cartilage. It's unbelievable. So I mean, my everybody, my daughters, and everybody in shock over that I can walk normally, and you know, so happy because. Uh, this is uh, if something like that happens to them. That's what they can do. You know, they see it firsthand. They never believed it because everybody was shocked that I would take to something like bone broth when I should really have a knee replacement. You know, according <laughs> uh, to Western thought. So it's um, a tremendous story. When I see so many people uh, suffering from this kind of a thing, and um, it is so easy to take to something, but you also have to have access to either a pool or Qigong or something like that. Yeah. So, yes. Um, you know, one of the one of the earliest things that I learned from Sally Fallon was yeah. that West she and Weston Price um, focused in on the fact that the bone broth was often made from the joint area where there's not much muscle. And so yeah. there were a lot of nutritive factors that help the joints. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you're the one who told me about it. And I have her book, too. I bought her book. Yeah. When you turned me on to it, and I was just like, uh, uh, you know, as you, you know, when you're telling this, Lady, I heard it earlier about echinacea. I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, my beloved echinacea. I used echinacea in Golden Fields 30 years ago when I had pneumonia. And it's amazing, again, how people don't use these herbs and and, uh, when they're so simple to use. Of course, a little more difficult because an antibiotic you take once a day and Echinacea, you have to perhaps check every two hours in serious conditions, but uh, what it leaves you with is good health and a long life. (laughs) (laughs) And as you said, a body. You know, (laughs) I mean, my God, this body is just like the most important thing you have. (laughs) It's going to be with you every minute of every day for your whole life. Yes, you're living in it. This is yep, it. you're living in it exactly. Yeah. No, there's no escape. No, yeah. Well, there is one, but I mean, you know, <laughs> I'd rather take the other. <laughs> I'd rather stay in the house, if you know what I mean. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that is really. Um, 
Um, all I wanted to ask you was if it was all right to take those three, the three cups a day. And yes, it is. And thanks so much for sharing your good news with us. Yeah, and oh my God, and thanks God for you, Susan. I really think this should be a, a national Susan Weed Day. I mean, I wish to God that people um, heard that voice. I was lucky enough to hear it myself. More and more people are, as each one is teaching one. And the the grassroots of people's medicine is becoming stronger and stronger. And that's fine with me that it's invisible. It doesn't have to have have a a logo or a a, a leader um, that, that we know that herbal medicine is our medicine, it's people's medicine, and that each one figures out her own way in it for the yeah. things that happen in her life. That That is what's gratifying and lifts my heart. Yeah. Well, bless you. Green blessings to you. Love you, Moretta. Love you. And green blessings to you, too. The next caller is coming from the 732 area code. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Star. What's up tonight? Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling about um, a tooth infection that I have and looking for some suggestions. Um, I've had a toothache for a little bit over a week, and a couple of days ago it began to feel like it was infected, and it started to hurt very badly this morning, so I went to the dentist. And she did an x-ray and saw that there is an infection and tooth decay and bone loss. Uh, I'm 70 70 years old. And um, suggested that I have the tooth taken out because they said even if you were inclined to get a root canal, it really wouldn't last very long. I'm not inclined to do a root canal anyway. And yesterday I ordered tincture of echinacea from um, what's that called? Catskill Mountain. But it hasn't I don't have it yet. So the doctor prescribed antibiotic, which I did start to take because I thought it would make the pain lessen because of the infection. So my question is, should I take the tincture, the echinacea tincture when it arrives? Um, I have no idea how long it takes to arrive. Um, should I continue to take the antibiotics beyond? It's going to be a seven-day course of antibiotics, which is what she prescribed for me. But if the echinacea comes, should I take that simultaneously with the antibiotics or take it after and finish the course of antibiotics? It's absolutely fine to take the echinacea with the antibiotics. And the new thinking is that taking a course of antibiotics is what drives antibiotic-resistant bacteria and that we should stop doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. My my fear factor is that she was quite fearful that this is so close to my brain that it could the infection could travel to my brain. So that's what got me to take the antibiotics. Uh, we were talking about echinacea here. Pardon me? I thought we were talking about echinacea. I didn't think we were talking about not doing anything. No, I I don't have the echinacea. It hasn't arrived yet. I understand, but you ask me when the echinacea arrives. 
is it okay right. to take it together? And then you right. said, I have to take the antibiotics for this long. And I'm saying, yes, take them together. And no, okay. you don't have to continue to take the antibiotic. You can okay. take them together, but you don't have to continue to take the antibiotic. I, but at no point did I say do nothing, did I? No, I didn't think you did. So are you saying that if I... I so what, right I, now, what I'm saying, and not just to you, but to everyone myself included, is I know that I have never in my life made a good decision based on fear. I know that when someone tells me to fear something, that my best response is to say, how frequently does that happen? Mm-hmm. So if someone says, don't swim there, you could get eaten by a shark. Well, I want to say, how frequently has somebody right here at this beach been eaten by a shark? Yeah, I have read quite a bit about people getting an infection into their brain from a from an abscess. So apparently it happens with a bit of frequency from what I've read. That's a good way to be afraid, a bit of frequency. Yes, people get eaten by sharks all the time. It's absolutely true. And we can find all kinds of stories, but that doesn't tell us what the frequency is. It could st- we're still talking about one-tenth of one percent of people who go swimming are likely to get bitten by a shark. It's a tiny mm-hmm. amount of people. So is your suggestion not to take the antibiotic now while I'm waiting for the echinacea? I dislike the way you keep putting words into my mouth. I do not wish you to tell me what I'm saying. I wish you to listen to what I am saying. At no point have I suggested doing nothing. Okay. But what I am saying is that doing things based on fear has never gotten me to a place that I've wanted to be. Okay. And that when people try to scare me, what I do is to see if I can get facts, not if I can see what you're doing is finding supporting evidence for what she said. And we can find supporting evidence for just about anything. If I tell you the world is flat, I can actually probably find, oh, half a dozen websites on the Internet that will back me up that the world is flat. I totally agree with you. I found I read all that stuff before I went to her. So I was reading actually I was reading on a homeopathic Facebook page about people actually kind of going off the homeopathic idea and saying this is you know talking about brain the infection traveling to the brain. So I don't I'm not any kind of an expert on that type of thing, but it looked like it was something that people were talking about. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's going to talk to me about that in addition to asking about frequency, I would also say, what was the general state of health of these people? Did these people have co-problems? Were they taking drugs for heart problems, for breathing problems, for cancer? Mm-hmm. Were these people who were in robust good health and they get a tooth infection and wham, it's in their brain? To me, these things make a difference. 
Mm-hmm. As I, I often, as I often say to people, when you go to the doctor, you have to alert your doctor to the fact that you're in good health because they're not used to treating people who are in good health. Mm-hmm. So you know what your general state of health is. And, right. of course, the more robust you are, the more you've taken care of your health, the less likely those scary things are to happen. I would like to reel back, however. I'd like to reel way back. And that is, I would like to encourage everyone who's listening to this conversation to start some echinacea tincture now. Because when you have an infection, it's not the time to start your echinacea tincture. And if you're not going to make your own echinacea tincture, and I do encourage you to, if you're going to buy it, buy it now. Because, you see, if you've been taking that echinacea tincture starting, I think you said, a week ago when you first had a toothache, mm-hmm. it's unlikely any of this would have happened. Right. Herbs are at their best if we take them sooner rather than later. So I certainly understand you couldn't have done anything other than what you have done. Um, But I think it is important for people to hear that, oh, let me not be in this situation. Let me get my echinacea ready now so that when I need it, it's here at hand. And one of the difficulties about buying it is that you're kind of loath to take enough if you buy it. Because it's kind of loath to do what? To take enough of it. Oh, I see. Dose of echinacea is one drop for every two pounds of body weight, or a dropper full for every 50 pounds of body weight. If you weigh 150 pounds, that's three dropperfuls of echinacea. And when you first had the toothache, those three dropperfuls ideally would have been taken every three or four hours. Mm-hmm. With a raging infection, often you have to take the echinacea hourly. Okay. So I don't know where the infection is going to be when you get your echinacea tincture. Perhaps the antibiotics will have quelled it enough that, again, you can take the echinacea every three or four hours. But still, if you take it every four hours, that's six times a day. That's 18 dropperfuls. That's about half a bottle a day. Half a wa- of a one ounce bottle. Yeah, I, added, I uh, ordered the two ounce. I didn't know what to order, so that's what I ordered. Right. So it's four days worth. Okay, I better order more. So that's what I'm saying. That's because it's expensive, people often will not take a sufficient amount of echinacea. Oh, I see. That's all I'm saying. So find up, you know, look at my YouTubes. Um, find out how to make your own echinacea tincture. It's really easy. Um, put them up now so that you have it available to you the next time you might need it. Good idea. It's, okay. It's good for a decade. It's not like you're going to be wasting anything. It's good for a what? It's good for at least 10 years once you make the tincture. Oh, oh okay. All right. I'll okay. do that. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Green blessings. And don't forget Yarrow. Don't forget what? Yarrow. Yarrow tincture. The tooth's best friend. Y-A-R-R-O-W? Y-A-R-R-O-W. Okay. Thank you. All righty. All right. All right. Thanks.
The next caller is coming from the 814 area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Enjoying the evening. How about you? Oh, pretty good. I'm hanging in here. Um, Yeah, I wanted to talk to you. I have a sick little boy, but I wanted to talk to you for a couple weeks. I'm kind of shy about calling on uh, shows or anything or podcasts or whatever it is. (laughs) So uh, since I first wanted to call, a lot of different things have come up and progressed. Um, Well, one thing I wanted to mention uh, about the cordyceps I heard you talking about. Hello? Yes, about the cordyceps. They do grow in the U.S., because I eat them when I find them in the forest. (laughs) I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm in central PA. That grows from a caterpillar. Yes, it does. Yep. So you find caterpillars? I don't eat the bug, though. Interesting. And and where are you? Central Pennsylvania. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, and and they're they're usually, you know, they're scarce. There's like one here and one there. But when I eat them, I get a really good burst of energy, and uh, they're just really neat. But they are around. So, anyway, I wanted to mention that. And uh, That's great. It's wonderful. Of course, what gives me pause is, oh, they're really scarce, and you're eating them, and so now they can't reproduce. Well, if they, they do reproduce. Um, the spores, if you leave the spores, they will find a new caterpillar. They come back up in the same areas. So how do you not, leave but or how do you leave the spores when you eat the mushroom? You just crinkle a little bit onto the ground and the the spores get blown. You know they're teeny tiny. Okay. They get so you make yeah. sure to shake spores off of it before you take it and eat it. Yes, yes. Wonderful. And when you remove the caterpillar, you know a bunch of them will fall and you know mm-hmm. they spread around. But they they are here. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wanted to see if you had any. Insight about my my son. He's six. He's a bigger boy. He's sixty seven pounds, and he can't seem to shake his cough. Um, I've been trying a lot of different things, and something I have a, an issue with with herbs is that I'm trying things that I don't really have a relationship with. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, you know, I feel like we, we take generations to to get relationships with plants. You know, my my parents gardened and had all kinds of different plants. And, you know, I know garlic really well. I know aloe really well, black walnut, things like that. But I've been using the lomatium um, for myself. And thankfully, I'm it's made me kind of the center of the storm here because uh, I've had a lot of sick people around me. Um, it didn't work for my son's cough, and so I've I've tried a lot of different things. Some things I've I've used over time. Some things I haven't. Um, basically, giving them, you know, mustard plasters, um, steam, um, you know, herbs several times a day, and. He just didn't seem to shake it. He got to where I almost took him to the hospital, which is not really a thing I do. 
but I ended up giving them a homeopathic. It was something my my grown daughter had bought, just kind of as a last ditch effort, and some vitamin C, and everything came pouring out of his nose, <laughs> and he actually was able to rest and didn't cough as much, but. Uh, I'm really unfamiliar with homeopathics. I don't have a lot of trust for them, and I don't understand why my herbs aren't working. Can you tell me more about the cough itself? Is it a dry cough? Is it a productive cough? It's mostly a dry cough. Does he cough Um, more in the morning, more at night? Does he cough all day and all night? Well, it has changed. It was sort of a dry cough. He's had it for weeks. And, you know, we've been to see the doctor who keeps saying, well, it's some kind of virus. His lungs are clear. Uh-huh. Uh, What's his immunization status? Uh, he has none. <laughs> he has and, and he's The doc says he's sure it's not whooping cough. Um, but sure he does make not? A no- yes, he says he's positive it's not whooping cough. However, the vitamin C did help. So, you know, who knows? It makes me always makes me so sad when children are unimmunized. I just really? wonder, you know, why it is that well, I'll tell you why mine is for not open, that they would, you know, not take care of them. Yeah, so let I'll me, tell you why mine is not. It's about what allopathy and homeopathy had... is. Allio means opposite. Homeo right. means the same. Pathy is disease. So allopathy means that if you have a cough, and I am an allopath, which I am, then I give you something to soothe that cough. Mm-hmm. If I am a homeopath and someone has a cough, then I give them an herb that causes coughing. Like treats like. Right, I'm aware of that. that so the homeopathic remedies that are used are ideally... Um, chosen by someone who has skill in working with homeopathy. The Materia Medica, the number of plants and substances that is used in homeopathy is enormous, surpassing 10,000 different substances and in a great number of different dilutions, anywhere from 10x, which means it's been diluted 10 times, to 5 million x, which means it's been diluted 5 million times. Right, and you don't. Which is take, such a little amount. I don't understand how you that. You don't is. take somebody else's homeopathic remedy. You take the remedy that is specific for you, the situation that you are in, and there's usually a pretty exhaustive interview to discover and discern which remedy would be the one that would be right for you. I understand that you don't understand how a small amount of something can have such a wonderful effect. That's what immunizations are. They are homeopathy. It's a small amount of something like polio, which is put into the body. The body then learns to recognize polio, and then when it is exposed to it, we're not devastated by it because the body has learned how to take care of that by the homeopathic Right, and everybody disagrees amount. with me that homeopathy is a that lot that like immunizations. I've been saying that. That homeopathy and immunizations are homeopathic, exactly, because they're not the opposite. They're the same. Right. So, so they're instigating the immune system. and They're not uh, instigating it. They are nourishing Training it, it training it. 
training it, nourishing it, helping it. Yes. Right. Um, you know, so I had two daughters you know, who had severe immune reactions. My generation the longest of any generation because the upcoming generations are being stripped of their right to live for a long time by parents who are choosing not to immunize them. It's so bad. Right. Now, what about kids who have reactions to these things? I had two daughters who had severe vaccine reactions. And from what I understand, it also changes the immune system over to a system that is uh, not really able to function on its own anymore. Oh, please. What absurd things. And if you read, then you can't listen to music anymore, right? No, what I'm saying is that, you know, when when you witness your child... introduces an infective agent into the body. But that's not all it introduces, is it? I'm sorry? What about, I said that is not all that it contains or introduces. I mean, what about, these things are not tested. They contain so many toxins. They contain you so many fillers. You are wrong. And You're just so wrong. They well, I mean, I've read the vaccine inserts. I, I, I have the facts. I can... people. And what you don't understand would take me a year to explain to you. But let's right. start here. Okay. All minerals occur in ionic forms. You can't take calcium. Calcium would not do you any good at all. So when you get orange juice with calcium, it has calcium citrate in it. When you get emergency, it has calcium ascorbate in it. When you get milk, there's calcium lactate naturally occurring in there. These are all different forms of calcium. Some are active in the human body. Some are not. The minerals that are used as preservatives in the immunizations are non-active in the human body. They're special ionic forms that have been chosen to be non-active. You don't I have to disagree with that. I mean, if you just look at the vaccine insert, that. if you, so you're if you just, just going to have them. a knee-jerk reaction to these things. And, and again, what I can say is, yes, they have been tested. I personally was a polio pioneer. I took the polio vaccine six different ways within one year to help them figure out what the best way was. Because I, even as a nine-year-old, was so committed to helping everyone be abundantly well. So to go back to your son's cough. Okay. Right. So it's almost impossible for me from here to say what is going on with his cough. Well, at this point, um, it's like a barking, and at the end of it, he's doing this sort of gagging noise, but not really gagging. Right, that's what I keep thinking, but the doctor says, no, it's not that. It sounds like. It sounds like a bark and a gasp. That's exactly what it sounds like. And I didn't put those words in your mouth. You're the one who just told them to me. Right. The doctor can say it's not, but I'll tell you from here, it is. Okay. And it's not going to go away. It's probably going to be there for a year. Wow. And your herbs aren't going to work. And the most you can hope to do is soothe it. Mm-hmm. So what would you use to soothe it then? Whatever works. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seemed like he took a drastic turn after I gave him the vitamin C and the homeopathic homeopathic remedy, which uh, is... Just a, it's not a specific one made for him. It is one that my daughter got over the counter at a drugstore, uh, Highlands. But it definitely seemed like he took, you know, just a 90-degree turn and 
wasn't all the way back, but he he was breathing normally. He didn't cough for hours. When it was time for the next dose, according to the directions, he started coughing again. And again, I gave it to him, and he stopped coughing. So that seems to be soothing for him then for now. Then keep using it. What's that? If, then keep using it. I certainly have nothing okay. against it. Okay. Yeah. Now, what do you do? You have any opinion on kids who have vaccine reactions? I'm. What I am familiar with as the most common reaction is a mild form of whatever the immunization is. So, uh-huh. in other words, they might run a fever. They might um, be in bed for a day or two. They might feel achy. Okay. So, And what um, I would do in that situation is, again, to soothe and to take care. Right. Well, what about more drastic reactions, such as having a 107-degree fever for several days that can't be brought down with medications, um, rashes all over the body, vomiting, nonstop febrile seizures, and a drastic change in the child's behavior to where they're not the same child. I mean, that's what I'm talking about that I have seen in two of my children, which is why I don't vaccinate. And it was something, a really hard pill for me to swallow to, to accept that that was happening until my youngest daughter was in physical therapy, holistic physical therapy, and the therapist said, this happens when she gets a shot. Um, what if you try not giving them to her? And up to that point, she couldn't even gain weight. And I stopped giving them to her. And I don't know if, you know, people talk about MTHFR, that maybe we have a genetic mutation that causes us to have a more difficult time processing the toxins, which, um, you know, there there definitely are toxins right on the labels. But, you know, w- would you still vaccinate your child if you watched that happen to two of your children? And it's a it, it it's. A hypothetical question. I don't engage in hypothetical questions. Okay. Well, that did happen to me with two of my children, which is why I have not vaccinated my son. You have a son with whooping cough, and you have whooping cough for a year. And let's hope it doesn't spread to the other kids. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's in the house. (laughs) He's off for several days. And I'm glad you have something that works. Okay. Um. Is there anything else you would advise for him to to eat or drink or to help him Can be I more comfortable? Can I just say that my son had whooping cough when he was uh, really young, and he had an ongoing cough for a long time, um, well, for a couple of years, that he'd wake up every night coughing, basically. And what finally I started making him own milk, made him that regularly, and he... Um, its sense has healed very, very well, and he rarely ever gets a cough anymore. My son was asking for milk, and you know what? I gave it to him because I feel like my kids have really good instincts, and uh, it, he did take a nap and rested really well after that. Milk's a great healer of the lungs. Yeah. 
Thank you for that, Rebecca. That's wonderful. Yeah, and you're familiar with Molin? Mixed Molin infusion mixed with milk and honey? No. You can check out my YouTube. M-O-E-N? You'll find Mullen milk there. Okay. M-E-L-L-E-I-N. Oh, Mullen, Mullen. Okay, yes. Um, That has been coming up in my mind quite a lot. However, I I am totally unfamiliar with it. And like I said, I've been having an issue with working with plants I have no relationship with. Um. I, I just am unfamiliar with it, and the more I read, it sounds perfect. It really does, but uh, I've just never met it yet. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to go ahead and order some to try. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Good night. Dream blessings. Let's see if Dream I can blessings. answer one Thank more you question for, the conversation. for our uh, interview. Okay, so our next caller... Before the interview starts, it's coming from the 209 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. I have a question. Um, it's about, you know, I you talk about no nobody eats their food raw, including animals. I and said nothing I was, on this planet consumes raw food except for a few misguided humans. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. What about dogs? How do they cook their food? Dogs eat meat. The things we eat right. raw are meat, eggs, mm-hmm. milk, fish, and insects. Okay. So there I don't I don't understand if no nobody eats no animal. I'm talking about vegetable matter, and I'm usually clear when I say nobody oh, eats okay. plants. I'm sorry, I didn't. I I've been thinking about that for days. Okay, thank you. That makes sense. Okay, let us welcome Evelina Rose to the show. Evelina Rose, M.A., The Alchemy of Love. Evelina is a therapist, intimacy and communications coach in private practice for 41 years. She blends metaphysical and therapeutic practices with healing work that is multidimensional and transformative. She also channels the Council of Twelve, co-creating deeply therapeutic and life-affirming sessions with individuals and groups. She has practiced Tantra for 30 years and taught it for 20. She's had decades of study in alternative healing, shamanism, spiritual paths, soul retrieval, inner child work, and recovery from abuse, addiction, and trauma. She has counseled, she has channeled the Council of Twelve for 34 years to individuals and couples, especially healers, business owners, and entrepreneurs. She sees clients in Asheville, North Carolina, and by phone or video chat worldwide to date. 
16 countries and 24 states. Evelina has taught seminars for 35 years on channeling, skills for being an empath, and Tantra. Whether Evelina is counseling or channeling, her work is gentle, compassionate, co-creative, and in-depth, helping people resolve woundedness and making fast progress toward their goals. Welcome to the show, Evelina. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Could you tell us what metatherapy is and how you work with people? Sure. I use the term metatherapy as a way to signify it's it's beyond therapy. It's metaphysically based. So I support people in accessing their own spiritual resources, learning to listen to the voices within that can be supportive. And I also do quite a bit of what we call soul retrieval. It's not the same as shamanic soul retrieval, but it's really gathering up the lost fragments of our soul that get caught in trauma in the past and bringing all of the self here. So we're reconstituting the whole self. So meta... Meta is about it being big. Right. And it's not just one little focus, but it's about your whole being. Yeah. Your whole being and learning to access all the resources of your being, of your soul, learning how to partner with spirit, learning how to relate to the natural world in a way that's a supportive relationship. It's becoming a part of of wholeness. You've been doing this work for decades. What are some of the changes you've seen? Oh, I've seen so many. I've seen people that were fighting with people in their life and fighting with themselves, and they've learned to calm the negative voices inside and to relate more from the heart. I've seen that over time, it's like we gather up one lost fragment after another and they just have more of a center, more able to to act upon life instead of react to life. And I work a lot with helping people learn how to get beyond the reptilian mind which is the first response and in the reptilian brain you get fight flight or freeze and it's almost instant response that's our reactivity but to wait take a breath maybe say a prayer and in seven seconds the conscious mind comes online if you count to ten the intuitive mind comes online and you've got a lot more resources So to be able to do life with those resources operating for you just really changes everything. And then I teach communication skills, so it helps people learn how to ask for what they want, which I think is vastly missing in our society. We make everybody guess what we want instead of actually telling them. 
and uh, learning how to do that in a way that both people feel better, both people feel honored and respected. So they start getting more of what they want from their life and from their relationships. Yes, certainly when you started the idea of a shamanic anything or a soul retrieval, um, people would have had no idea what it is. And now, although we certainly couldn't say, oh, everybody would understand those things, there's a lot more people who understand those things. Exactly. I feel like I was way out on the cutting edge and society is catching up with me. You know, more and more people are awakening and opening to spirituality and I don't sound as weird as I used to. (laughs) (laughs) Could you share with us some of the things that you see that get in the way of people being open and um, being able to access the fullness of their own being? Sure. Um, One thing I, I see often is people take in the negative voices of their critical parents and if they've been put down a lot, their inner voices keep doing that. They they try to, you know, as a child, it's a coping mechanism. If if I can catch myself doing something wrong before my parents do, maybe I won't get in trouble. It doesn't always work, but it, it's a kind of a superstitious thing that goes on in the psyche. And so that negative voice can really interfere with them believing in themselves. And then often... They're projecting onto others the the kind of the image of their parents, and so they're playing out these old unresolved patterns with people. I've said if if you have an office setting or some kind of work situation where you have about the same number of people of your family, everybody's apply you know kind of assigning a role from your family to the other people. So you project dad on one and mother on another. And and then as long as you're doing that, you're relating to the projections more than who the person really is. So it's easy to get your feelings hurt. Open your family. You don't speak up when you get your feelings hurt. You just grin and bear. Then you're accumulating these situations with a lot of resentment. And before long, you can't really see who's out there because you're, you're kind of in the the haze of your own resentment. So that's one really common pattern. I think another is is this assuming that if you really love me, you'll know what I want. And if you really love another person, I think you tell them what you want. I think you learn how to ask for what you want in a way that's honoring and cherishing and and assumes the other person would at least like to know what you want. And then we get out of that place of second guessing and trying to trying to figure each other out, which puts us in a head where if you ask for what you want, the other person can more likely stay in their heart or stay in their touch if they're touching you. They're not trying to second guess. They're able to trust that you're helping to guide what's happening. And what I put with that is ending up with a reward. So you let them know when you do get what you want, which we often don't. If we ask, we don't let them know, oh, thank you. 
That's what I was asking for. Or you ask for a little change in it, and then then an appreciation, or even a sound that lets them know that you received it. So they're rewarded for hearing you and wanting to offer what you got. So that helps to deepen connection to, between two people, and it makes it more of a heart-to-heart connection, much more fulfilling. We're so trained in codependent relationships that can be very difficult to work your way out of them. It's one of the the major things that I do with the apprentices here is that they are stifled at every turn from being codependent, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a great distress to many of them. It is. And then if they're trying to get out of it, they so want to please people. They want to get out of the codependency and have the other person understand and agree with them. Exactly. And it's they, want to, they want to not be codependent as a, as a factor of their codependency. Is what you're exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what I let people know is it's the codependent triangle. So there's victim, rescuer, persecutor. And when you get out, you can't be the victim because you don't have any power. You can't be the rescuer because you've got a job to do. No matter what you do, you're going to be seen as the persecutor if the other person is still playing victim or or rescuer. And so you're probably going to end up, no matter how you get out of it, you're going to look like the bad guy to them. And you have to develop a tolerance for that, to do what has integrity for you, to do what's right for you, and to stop rescuing the other people, even if they don't like it. And that's the hardest point right there, I think, for people. And I think that, that I think that's why what you do for healers is so important. Mm-hmm. To to help them be strong, especially in these particular ways. You also work a lot with empathy, and I think you have some tools that you share with people who feel that they're very empathetic and who sometimes pull back because they think, oh, my empathy is going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I do. I've, I've been an empath myself. I think most people who had incest or trauma as children end up as empaths because tuning into what people are feeling or thinking is a way to, to try to stay safe, try to avoid things that hurt. So I've learned a lot of tools and I have a whole six-week series on living as an empath. I do make the first recording of that, an hour-and-a-half class, available for free to people. So if they want to get in touch with me, I'd offer that to people. And it's skills like bringing in your own light and filling with your light because you want to fill up with yourself if you're body's occupied, you're less likely to take on other people's energy and then create a sphere of light around you and over time, really building a sovereign field that doesn't take in other people's energies. I think that what we tend to do as empaths is, you know, the saying, my heart goes out to you. It's like we leave our body to go take care of the other person. And what you want to learn to do is go into your center and just love from your center instead of go out and try to fix things. When you're 
really deeply in your ground, in your center, and then you ground, and then you fill with your light, you're much more able to stay available to the person with the pain without joining the person in the pain. I once did a great meditation where you had Kuan Yin or a being like that take your place, and she showed me how to deal with this really difficult client and then come back out and give you advice. And her advice was, touch the pain, be the love. Touch the pain, be the love. And I think that's how impasse can work, is you, you pick it up, you go, okay, I can feel what's going on over there. Oh, I come home to myself, I ground, I center, you know, my life. Sometimes I'll say, Archangel Michael, will you stand between us? Divine Mother, will you come absorb this pain or Kuan Yin? And then I really tune in to being love. So I'm a resource to the person, not one more miserable person. It's not going to help anybody to join them in their pain. Thank you. Uh, so special and so important. Um, Let's make sure that people know how to get in touch with you, Evelina. What's the best way for them to, to reach you? My website is evelinarose.com, and it's E-V-A-L-E-N-A, evelinarose.com. And my email is evelina at evelinarose.com. And my phone is 707-696-9944. And you just offered people a uh, free uh, talk on working as an empath? Living as an empath, yes. If so, so generous. Probably, and they go to yeah. your website to get that? They can go to, they can send me an email. It's not on my website, but send me an email or text me at that phone number. And I'll send them the link to the Living as an Impact series. You've also I just want to get I want to get it out there. You know, I've got a lot of materials that I've done over my lifetime, and I want people using them. So you also <laughs> have, you also have done some YouTubes, and you did a YouTube on femifesting. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. What is that? You are. <laughs> Femifesting is a term that that my guides and I developed. It's not exactly the opposite of manifesting. It's in the same area. But with manifesting, you're going from here, you see your goal, and you're doing the linear steps to get there. Femifesting, when the feminine works, it's more in a gestalt. So the feminine wants to just call in the clearest, brightest, most radiant possible future, the future who already has realized what you desire, because there's no time. So you call in this bright, clear, radiant future, and then you go sit with her or him, have a cup of tea and have them show you their life and how they're doing the work that you've been wanting to create and how it's unfolded and how they're doing relationships and their finances and their promotion. And they just show you everything about their life. 
And then once you've seen it, you ask, show me how you got here. And they start showing you the path from where they are to where you are. And then you ask if they're willing to guide you. And then you embrace each other. So you're allowing their confidence and competency to be infused into your body. And so what it does is it sets an anchor in that bright possible future that can then support you in bringing your life to that anchor. So it it gives you a, a guiding light, so to speak. And the future self always says, yes, I'd love to guide you. So at any point you can say, future self, what did you do here? What can I do with this? And it just kind of arrives in you what to do next. That's the feminine kind of guidance. It's, it's insight or a hunch or a felt sense of what to do next. So it's, it's quite lovely, and you can do it over and over with different aspects of your future to gain guidance in bringing your life to where you want it to be. And my sense is there's always more than one probable reality. So you're actually potentiating the most positive radiant reality by doing the femifesting. So you are putting it out to the universe which reality you would like to live in. Exactly. Yep. And you're putting an anchor there. (laughs) (laughs) I want to interrupt for just a moment Um, Rebecca, could you give me a time check? Yeah, you have about 11 minutes it looks like Okay, good Um, Of all the things that you do, Evelina What's your favorite? Oh, wow I love my work I imagine my favorite has become the channeling work I do with people who work with me every week or every two weeks, and it's become like the heart of their spiritual path as well as their therapeutic path. And it combines my 41 years of being a therapist with my work in channeling, and it allows us to just keep lifting off layer after layer of what blocks their evolution and by by continuing on an ongoing basis, we get to a finer and finer tuning of what how they're blocking themselves. For a long time, I did mostly channel readings, like one session, one now and then. But now it's more and more people just continuing on a regular basis. And their lives are changing radically. So... I think that's one piece I also do with some of those I've done what we call Codes for New Humanity, which is a seven series. It has to, I think it's only being done in person so far of really bringing in new ways of, you know, the newer realities of our humanity. And we work with the pineal and the pituitary gland and then all the chakras in the body and all and the seven, eight chakras beyond the body. And it's just creating deep life changes. 
can give you an example. I worked with a man that before our work, he was in a challenging relationship and they were going back and forth and he kept getting hooked back in and and just really troubled by it. And after we did some of these regular sessions in the codes, he's able to be with her and just go, just watch her process. Not get in it, just be able to witness and witness his own thoughts and stay in a very neutral place, which helped helped him transition out, but also be kind to her in the process. And that's, of course, what we want is to create a way for us to express more loving kindness. Yes. Do you have a vision of where humanity is going? Are we evolving? Are we devolving? Are we going to make ourselves extinct? What? What? Do you have any, any sense of what might be in the near future or the far future? Well, I do because I look into people's futures in the channeled readings a lot. And also, I work with beings on the other side of the veil a lot. And I do believe our species is evolving. I think we're becoming more capable of unconditional love, unconditional positive self-regard, which is where it starts, loving self. I think that we're, it's like, you know, there's a bell curve in everything. So I watch that that end, the, the most advanced edge of that bell curve, and I see people capable of things like they weren't capable of a year ago or two years ago. Growing faster, dropping old patterns more easily. I see people doing three times in sessions what they used to do. And, you know, not everyone. Some people are still at another place in the bell curve and moving slowly. But some people are moving really quickly in their evolution. I think we're becoming more capable of experiencing ourselves in the fourth dimension and even in the fifth dimension. And I I love this little meme about the dimension that in the third dimension you've got your stuff and your stuff's got you. In the fourth dimension, you've got your stuff, but it doesn't matter very much. It doesn't affect you that much. And the fifth dimension is kind of, what stuff? (laughs) You're in another level where you're not at all determined by what's happened to you. So I think we're moving in that direction. And I know there's a lot of chaos on the planet. It seems to me it's the birthing pains of the the new species. Yes, yeah, a lot of, lot of amazing things happening. I uh, did um, very intense three years of work with Jean Houston on the development of human capacity, and mm-hmm. she wanted us to watch a, a movie one night about the Gaia hypothesis. And I said to her, "Oh, Jean, I want the night off. I know about the Gaia hypothesis." And she said, "No, go and watch it." And I grump, grump. So I went and watched it, and I did indeed know about the Gaia hypothesis, but. There was something in the movie that changed my life forever. And mm. it and it talked about thresholds. And it, you can have billions, trillions of atoms, and that's all you have is atoms. But if mm-hmm. you can 
10 billion atoms in a confined space-time, they will start to come together as molecules. Now, you still had atoms, but now you have something more complex, molecules. And mm. it's a threshold for molecules to to become cells. You have to get 10 billion molecules in a confined space-time, and then they start to combine into single-cell organisms. You still have atoms, and you still have molecules, but now you have something more complicated, single-cell organism. And mm. if you get 10 billion single-cell organisms in a confined space-time, they will for multicellular organisms. There's still atoms, there's still molecules, there's still single-cell organisms, there's still amoebas and protozoas among us. But we have complex multicellular organisms like us. The world population is at 8 billion. I think when we get to 10 billion, we will have 10 billion aware, conscious human beings who will combine to form something about as comprehensible to us right now as a liver is to a paramecium. Oh, I love your vision. That is beautiful. Denison's been an influence in my life too since seven, 1978. She's amazing. So it, it, it's nothing that we have to do anything about. And if you don't want to participate, that's okay. As I said, there's still atoms, there's still molecules, there's still amoebas. Not everybody mm-hmm. to do that. But what an exciting thing! I was so much hoping that I would be here for the 10 billion mark, but I tend to suspect that neither you nor I will be here because uh, AIDS and various other things have taken just too big a bite. Oh, we're coming to the end of our time together. What I want to ask you about that I haven't asked you about yet. Well, you know, I think the most important question that I have is, as we come to the end of the show, to give people that contact information once more, And then to answer this question, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight? So contact is evelina at evelinarose.com. That's my website, E-V-A-L-E-N-A, rose.com. And I want to leave with everyone, we are already divine. And this evolutionary track that takes us to higher consciousness is in place. Spirit knows what it's doing. When you come into your center, when you really bring yourself home to yourself and grow into loving yourself, everything else happens. It will take you to higher and higher places in your own evolutionary path and to trust the process. It's in it's ingrained in you. We're created from divinity and we go back to divinity. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight, Evelina Rose, and for your generous offer of sharing with people how to cope with being an empath and get some really useful things that uh, I'm very much with you. I do a lot of work with the apprentices with goddess archetypes, and uh, they I think that they're they're so valuable and such a wonderful asset. My um, thanks, Jujana Budapest, for turning me to, onto the whole concept of having an archetype and, and being connected to that archetype. 
So we say goodbye for tonight. I thank you, Evelina Rose, for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Every one of us adds a special thread to that healing cloak that is being rewoven and that is uh, now visible as a net around this planet holding um, the planet and all of the life forms on it in a, a wonderful, loving, um, and caring embrace. And Rebecca, thank you so much for being here to push all the buttons for me and to help restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Herbal medicine is of the people, by the people, and for the people. Green blessings, everybody, and good night. Green blessings, everyone. Good night.